The content of this podcast, Swingin' It, is for informational and entertainment purposes only. The content discussed is not intended for investment advice nor a recommendation. Investing in any stock, security, bond, ETF, option contracts, or futures has substantial risk of loss. Chris McBride and John Burrell are not certified financial or investment advisors, nor are they registered brokers. By listening to this podcast, you acknowledge that neither Chris McBride or John Burrell will be held responsible for any loss that you may occur from acting on the topic or discussion in this podcast. These topics are not meant for recommendation. Chris McBride and John Burrell may hold positions in securities discussed in this podcast. keeps expanding and uh, that's usually not good for the stock market uh, for equities and we had a pretty decent down day today so we'll see what happens yeah but it's been it's been expanding and immediately contracting the other um, down day we had this week I think the volatility went down the whole day while the market also went down so I'm not sure it's been hard to pinpoint I've, I've been all over the place on on what I'm doing I think I'm technically mostly short now with some long position, so it's it's very odd. Yeah, I'm um, short the dollar, which the dollar was started up today, and I got in while it was up. So I shorted the dollar. I'm long uh, precious metals, and I'm leaning to the short side on other equities. I'm going to play oil. I don't have a position on it yet, but going to play oil to the long side as well as some other commodities. Uh, UNG fell off uh, pretty hard uh, today, so looking to probably play that from the long side as well. Yeah, it, it actually fell off earlier in the, in the week. It's kind of stayed there all, all week. I think Tuesday it dropped all the way down to 12, you know, 1230, 1250. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I think technically I'm short, um, you know, like the beta weighted deltas, but I think it's because I have, you know, I have the call in volatility and it kind of brings all that down quite a bit. But um, yeah, I'm glad y'all can join us. Um, we're coming to you live on the Pivotal Trading YouTube. And we're doing that because we got another interview today and um, we, we want y'all to have the ability to ask any questions you may have to us or that you won't ask to um, whoever we're interviewing at the time because you know when they're on the show, we can ask all the questions we want, but if the viewers have questions, we may not know the answer if we didn't, get, didn't ask them that. So we want y'all to have the opportunity at least to ask questions. The guy we have on today um, has been on the show before and um, I would say out of the people I've met while doing this podcasting, um, type deal. This is one of the smarter guys I've, I've encountered. We, when we first invited him on the show, we didn't know much about him. We just followed him on Twitter. 
and you know we were going to he was really kind of just starting on twitter and now he's kind of blown up a little bit and it's for good reasons he's a really smart guy um to give you a little introduction, he, he has an MBA with the focus in finance. He's a VP of finance for a private company where he works in books. He's um, a, a trader, mostly long-term. I think he's only been trading, you know, four or five years and has built an account all the way up to over 170K. So as you can tell, he's pretty successful and it was a great conversation last time. So we invited him back and today we're hoping to, you know, instead of being so interviewee, but to actually let him dive into some financial stuff, what to look for and that sort of thing. So John, um, John will go ahead and bring him in. It's Fat Baby Funds, if you follow him on Twitter. Ian, what's going on? Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you just fine. How's it going? Uh, going well, how are you doing? Doing all right. It's, it's been kind of odd market recently. It's hard, oh, yeah. to, hard to pin down. You'll see days where the market's going down, but volatility is also going down, or the market's going up and volatility is expanding. So it's been yeah. pretty, pretty tough trading. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, for two or three months, it was just straight up. And then, yeah. you know, it's like, but it's yeah, funny. It's an interesting going. market for sure. Um, glad to have you here i missed the last time that you were on the show so uh glad to finally meet you uh, my name is john and uh um i'm looking forward to this today yeah absolutely me too yeah so hopefully this one we got a lot of the interviewee stuff out last time hopefully this one will be more of a, a just discussion I, I personally i know you focus a lot on the finance and know a lot about that I, just for educational um, purposes of the people that listen, I hope we can dive into, you know, deeper into what you look for in finances, what people should be looking for, certain things on deciding whether either the trade or long-term investor or whatever. But when we get to that, I'll let John go first since um, he wasn't here last time. He probably got a few questions that he had last time they didn't get the choose. So we'll hop right into it. Yeah. Um, so I, I just want to start with, um, your overlook of like before you even get to a company that you're looking at, if you are uh, looking at like the world news or what's going on in the world, or are you looking at macro? Like what's your very from like the highest view out? Where do you start with um, your overlook on what sector or what asset class to go long? Yeah, so I generally focus on a, like a small subset of stocks. I like to look at the tech stocks um, just because I think their financials are amazing. Um, such high gross margin, such ability to scale, everything like that. Um, then I also like to look at the dopamine stocks. That's what I like to call them. And that could include a lot of tech stocks, but also things like uh, gambling, um, marijuana, all those different cheap dopamine hits that a lot of people get that companies really make a lot of money off of. Um, I like to focus in on those. So if I start seeing something that sort of falls into one of those categories, uh, and then the other big one I'm in a lot is e-commerce. Um, just with everything going on, I think that's going to be a, a huge trend in the future. Um, and really everything moving on, online, I think a lot of those stocks are under undervalued because of that. So I like to look at those and then see from there start to filter in and out of the news of what looks interesting 
um, what what can I dive into, um, all that kind of stuff. Because there's a ton of opportunity just in those sectors alone. Um, sometimes I like to throw out a lot of the other sec sectors like like software as a service. Um, I just don't really understand it well enough to be looking at the companies like Fastly, all those kind of crazy companies that are doing really well right now. Um, but they, it's just too techy for me. Um, so I'd rather focus on a, a, a little bit easier of the tech, um, the social networks, those kind of things that I understand better. You, you mentioned how you look for um, the sectors in dopamine. You went on a pretty big um, witch hunt on um, online um, relationship type services the, oh, other, yeah. the other day, didn't you? Did yeah. you find anything worth um, noting? Yeah, so it, it's a, that's just like a tough industry because I, I went into it sort of, you know, wanting to buy Match. They own Tinder. They own all of those. Um, so they're sort of the largest online dating industry. But it's really like an acquisition space and a new company can come in and take over really quickly. So it, basically what Tinder did. Um, and Match was lucky enough to create Tinder themselves and do it, but all the rest of their growth is really coming from acquisitions. And who knows if they're going to get the next acquisition or if Bumble will or whoever will, or if someone will create it themselves. Um, so I sort of went into it hoping to find an investment. If any of them, I would, there's a company called like Spark Networks, um, which is like community-based dating. So that's like Christian Mingles, um, J date, all those like uh, silver singles, all the like little community based, which I think could be a bigger thing in the future. Um, especially if like the trends continue of people fleeing the cities, all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's a really cheap stock. It's uh, like market cap is at a, like 112 million or something like that. Um, so it's much, much smaller than uh, match. But yeah, so I, I did a deep dive there because I, I, I was definitely interested by the space, um, sort of a blend of dopamine and tech. Um, because I think it could be another one of those ones that scale very well, um, really nice profitability if they're able to do it. But yeah, I, I, I didn't like match enough to make an invest, investment in that at all. Yes, yeah, so that's, uh, that's interesting talking about like new companies coming into the scene. I guess what the internet's really done for a lot of people and a lot of companies is giving people the access. And if you have an, uh, just a little bit of startup funds then you can really get rolling and, and take up some market share, especially if you're creative enough. Talking about new companies, um, you know, we live in, a, in an age now where a lot of people say profits don't matter. Um, looking at financial statements and, and really taking a deep dive on companies' profits and earnings, and is is that is that an important factor? Does profits matter as far as uh, new IPOs? Well, it, it depends. It really depends because there's there's a lot of unprofitable companies. Like for instance, Amazon was unprofitable for the longest time, but they were growing very very fast. Um, they had recurring revenue. They had everything like that. So it's really there's not a simple answer to that. It's really you have to look at it and decide company by company. Should they be more profitable than they are? How profitable can they be in the future? Um, there's an interesting company that I just started investing in, Stitch Fix. Um, do you guys know Stitch Fix? Yeah, um, I've so been plugging it pretty hard as well I, in our in our group subscription thing for Pivotal Trading that we are now a part of. Um, that's one of the things I threw out on my my watch list, and I think it was at twenty three fifty or twenty four, and now it's you know twenty nine bucks. It was, it was a good 
good one. I actually got it off your Twitter. That's where I saw it. So. But yeah, so that's a good example of a company. They're, they're not really losing money right now, but they're still growing very rapidly. And they're in an e-commerce space where you sort of think they would be losing money. Um, so that's one, when I looked at it, I was surprised to see, oh, they're actually, they're actually sort of net even when you look at it. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Um, but then you start to drill down and you're like, okay, what can their long-term profitability be? What's realistic? And then it, in that kind of space, it's just harder because there's, there's product costs, there's shipping costs, there's so many costs, overhead costs all that kind of stuff and then huge margin um so and, and if they do they've got a large sales already and a growing um pretty fast with a pretty low market cap so those are the kinds of things I, i'll look at um to see like in the financials i'm like do what do what's their end game for profitability how fast are they growing um how long is it going to take them to get profitable all that kind of stuff so the answer is it really depends for me yeah, so on some of the stocks you invest in, a lot of like the dopamine stocks who haven't turned a profit really yet, what are you looking for there as far as like future growth when maybe they are a newer company and, you know, they haven't haven't quite, you know, turned a profit, they don't have a PE ratio and, and things like that? Because you hear a lot of people online all the time talking about something being overvalued and they mentioned, you know, not, not having a profit yet. Sometimes it's just they're a new company and it takes a little bit to start, but yeah. What, what do yeah, you I, so I, I'll look at the easiest one is just price to sales. Um, but price to sales can be a little misleading because, you know, your price to sales for Tesla, who's a car company, who's not going to really ever have a very high net income percentage um, versus uh, a company like Facebook, is going to be vastly different because Facebook's making money hand over fist. Um, they don't really have product costs. They're in a far more profitable industry, all that kind of stuff. So you sort of have to break that out when you're using price to sales. When price to earnings, you don't have to as much. Um, so I'll use that. And then the other thing I'll just do is I'll just look forward and see, okay, what's the rosiest picture I could see of their net income percentage or a free cash flow percentage on um, whichever one you want to use. And then from there say, okay, uh, let's start to back this up. What would their PE look like then? Um, and then you can start to see like, if it's not even realistic with the rosiest picture, um, I just can't make an investment in that. So like an example of where I do that would be like Tesla right now. The company's on fire. I love the company. I love everything they're doing. I just think their valuation is insane. Um, and they might be able to live up to it if they really leverage their optionality into a ton of different, more profitable business segments, um, like the insurance that they're talking about. I don't think ride hailing is ever going to be like super profitable either. So that's the hard part. Um, but if they are able to leverage into other more profitable businesses, it sort of changes things. Um, but that's a big assumption that I'm not going to make when I look at that company. Yeah, I feel the same about Tesla. I think long-term, possibly, but as a car company, no. I think they need to, you know, get into batteries or the energy sector or something. You don't play options very very much, but I saw you, you hit about 1,800 on a Tesla put. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, did, I, I really, well, for the most part, I mostly buy puts, like, once or twice a quarter, and usually when I only think the market's going crazy. 
Um, so like I thought the Tesla market was going crazy. I sold that one. It's still going, it just went right back up after I sold it. Um, so maybe I'll buy more of that. Um, but then the other time I made a lot of money with puts was I was selling the cruise line puts in February, right before coronavirus. Cause I could just like, I could just look at it and be like, the way the coronavirus is spreading and the way it would spread on a cruise ship, I didn't expect nationwide lockdowns. I didn't expect everything to come, but I sort of had a feeling that cruise lines weren't going to do well. Um, and then the cruise lines did very badly. So it's only when I think something's going to happen in the short term price wise. And it was just me guessing that Tesla was sort of a bu bubble um, based upon the uh, S&P 500, the stock split, and that eventually that would pop and it hasn't yet. So I'm, I'm, I'm probably wrong on that. Short term price movements are are hard. Um, so I don't do it much, but it's fun to play around with. Yeah, I mean, Tesla last week, I think it's PE was 1100 or something ridiculous like that. Um, John, I think you had a question about price movements going going into that. Um, yeah, with Tesla, um, the, the interesting thing about Tesla is its market cap is like the combination of most other um, you know, vehicle manufacturers. So going forward, I don't know how much more market share they can really take of the market in order to justify the price. And, you know, unless, you know, I think Chris mentioned, you know, unless they branch off into doing some technology things or maybe licensing some games. I know where they had put out a, uh, you know, hiring people to program games for their cars and maybe that comes with a subscription cost maybe they license it out for um you know the google play store for phones maybe they do something with batteries or or you know sensor motions for other technologies and able to make more profit but i just don't see i don't see the price now i mean i just don't see how it can be justified i just feel like this is just a huge bubble that's, uh, you know, ready to come down. I'm curious on your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely the same thing. Uh, the thing I like to come back to, which is I think really funny at this point, is that Elon Musk tweeted uh, before their stock split, uh, split um, that when their stock was around like $450, that the stock was way too high. Um, and then from there, it went up 5x in a series of like six months. So I think that alone just sort of shows what's going on. But I mean, I, I never short it. I never short Elon Musk. He's done a lot of amazing things, but I still think the price is crazy and I'll buy puts because there's so much less for risk. But yeah, I'm on the same page with you. I, I just can't, the math, the math part of me just says like, no, no way, I can't do it. But like the, the, the leadership part of Elon Musk, all that kind of stuff, I like, I think it's really cool what he's done. I think, um, all that's awesome. It's just the math part of it, the the price to whatever you want to evaluate it at. I just can't do it. Yeah, I kind of see it on the sidelines. You know, I, I think he's a cool dude. I think he's very intelligent. Like you said, you know, I'm kind of just like, you know, go, man, go. But uh, at the same time, it's like I'm not buying any shares of it. And, and at the right. same time, there were a ton of people shorting Tesla way before this huge Five X move, um, like you said, and it's yeah for sure. It's not something that you would want to step in front of. I mean, this is a rolling train 
um, and it might get out of control at some point, but uh, the timing is such a yeah. important aspect of it that you'll get ran over before you're right. And so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and Elon Musk is, um, like I said, I think that's the reason that they will be okay because I don't think they'll be a car. Like five years from now, I don't know that we're talking about Tesla as a car company. Right now, they're only like even a luxury car company. They're, you know, really worse of a car company than like Mercedes or somewhere. I mean, it's such a, a limited um, limited sales area or whatever. Um, what's the bottom of Tesla? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think probably like 300. What do you think their value should be? Yeah, as a car company, I mean, like if you're only looking at them as a car company and you're saying they're going to have car company margins. Well, right now, I'm saying right now, they're overvalued. What, right now, what should their value be? Yeah, I mean, I would probably say like, probably like a fourth of what it is right now. So they're like probably like 320 million market cap, maybe a little more after the run. Um, so I would say probably around a hundred million is where I, I start thinking it's like, okay, that's an interesting investment in the long term. Um, because I've, I've held Tesla in the past and I sold it on the ride up um, just when I started to get uncomfortable. And honestly, it's like three X from there. So when I, when I started to feel uncomfortable about their valuation was three X before, which is crazy. Um, and that's why all the people who have held on to it have been right. I just worry in the long term that they, they might not be right. Yeah, my dad, I think, sold it at like 740 or 750. So, I mean, he did the same. A lot of people lost a lot of money, shortened it, and then, you know, had to try to jump oh, yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, had to jump long to hedge hedge back their, yeah. their shorts. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's a crazy – you see people on Twitter all the time, you know, when it drops a little bit – Oh, you got to buy now. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. it's one you stay away from. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. John, what else you got? Um, uh, that's really it as far as the, the main questions that I wanted to ask. I guess we can just kind of discuss uh, what was on some of the viewers' minds uh, in the Discord that we went over there with some of those companies and kind of dive in those. Yeah, so one of the questions we got today when we said you was going to be on that people wanted to know, they were kind of asking asking anyone in there about it, but um, I gave my opinion. But but really, they I, they were asking about Chewy, which is earnings for tonight, which I even gave you a heads up on. Um, what do you feel about them? I think they beat their earnings by like half. I think projected was like negative 0.08, and they had like – I mean, negative 0.16, and they had negative 0.08. So, but it still still went down. I think it dropped about 3% today and 1.1% after hours. So, beat earnings still went down. Yeah, I mean, it's just the, it's like the Zoom market where people are expecting for e-commerce or anything e-related, they're expecting huge numbers. And Chewy did put up pretty good numbers at like 50% at like growth. Um, and they have a pretty decent sales, all that kind of stuff and, um, trending towards more profitability. Um, so it, it was definitely a good quarter, but it's not the blowout quarter everyone expects of e-commerce right now with everything going on in COVID and the massive spike that e-commerce has had. Um, especially like Amazon, when they last reported earnings, um, all those companies uh, showed massive uh, beats versus what they expected and 
Chewy just didn't do that. And I think that's why the market was sort of meh in a reaction. Yeah, that, when, when they asked me, I, I was trying to stay away from it. I didn't want to play it because I could have seen it. You know, you could see that it could go up. It did beat earnings. It could have went up. Um, but my, my thing was, and I was trying to explain to them why I thought they would beat. So I think I actually said I thought they'd beat earnings but could go down. And um, I was trying to explain that, you know, Chewy is what they're, they are what they are. They're right now they're a delivery service for, you know, pets and that sort of thing, which is a good company. I think they're pretty fast at doing it, but their market cap right now is about 24 billion. Is that company worth 24 billion? That's tough. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's where even in the e-commerce space, some of the margins are pretty like, they're tough when you start looking at them versus the market cap, just because it costs a lot of money to run the fulfillment centers that they do. Um, They have high cost of goods sold, all that kind of stuff. So people love it. They seem like a great company who treats their customers really well, very customer centric. Um, When I looked at them, they sort of reminded me a little bit of Zappos in a weird way and how like customer centric they are. Um, The e-commerce really pushing shoes online and they're pushing dog food online. Uh, They have a little bit of optionality and uh, it looks like they started up selling like prescription uh, meds for animals, all that kind of stuff, which is interesting. Um, But yeah, you're right. They're not Amazon. They can't branch into dog food like Amazon can branch into dog food. They can't branch into selling headphones. You know, that's what makes it tough. They don't have quite the same optionality that a lot of the rest of the e-commerce does. Well, speaking of headphones, I mean, last week, I think the Chewy founder bought 10% of GameStop, which um, tanked on earnings last night. Yeah. But a lot a lot of people still think GameStop will be a good play because normally this quarter is the bad one for video games anyhow, especially since when um, new systems are coming out because nobody are bu- buying old stuff when new stuff's getting ready to come out. So a lot of people I've seen um, still like GameStop because it's so cheap right now compared to when Christmas comes around and the Chewy founder saw something in there. What, what's your thought there? Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't touch it. Uh, where I've gotten myself into trouble investing and the where it went, it's what I like to do when I first started investing was when I saw a falling knife company like GameStop and I see something like, oh, the, the founder of Chewy's bought 10%. Um, I should jump in. They know something. They're shifting to online. Um, but I just don't trust the management. Yeah. You know? And that's like, if you don't trust the management, don't buy the company. And obviously, like, I don't think GameStop has had any crazy changes in management to people who I'm saying they can write this ship. Um, so that's just one. I'm, I'm not going to short. I'm not going to long. I'm just stay away from and watch it. If they do make a shift online, I think that's super interesting. But they're a middleman. And Sony, Microsoft probably just wants to cut off the middleman and sell straight from there online. Um, so GameStop's sort of in a hard place there. Yeah, it's kind of like DVDs. I mean, most people don't even have a DVD player anymore. So, I mean, you can just watch it. Same with games, I think. I think you can just play them. I don't think you have to buy a disc. Um, yeah, the only the way I was trying to play it is I, I sold a put, and I think I was fine, but it, the earnings tanked so much last night, I went ahead and, you know, got rid of it just in case. I think we would have been fine. I think it would have stayed ahead. It actually went back up. I think it went to, you know, 670s or so so I think I was okay but 
it was getting a little too close to that number. So yeah. I went hang on. The next one uh, people was asking about, of course, was the other earnings for tonight, Peloton, which again also beat earnings. Their projected EPS was 0.1. They had 0.27, and they were down, you know, four percent today and went up. Over, they went up like nine percent since their earnings. Um, how do you feel about that one? That one's kind of a weird one because they. Most people see them as the bike thing, but that's where I assume you, you think the same. That's not their business. They could care less about the bike. It's about the subscription service they, you're, you have to have to use the bike. And then also the fact that it's, you know, $2,000 on the low end to even get in there. And then they said something about spending to Europe or something like that. But what do you feel about Peloton? I know that one's, I've heard a lot of people say it's one of the more overvalued companies on the market. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I don't know a ton on it. But I, I did see everything going on with their earnings, and it looks like they had a massive earnings beat on the sales line. Um, and then I have heard like the subscription revenue, because I'm in the same boat as you, where I think of it as a, a fancy bike company that charges $2,000 for a bike. Um, but it sounds like they're getting into yoga. They're getting into really the overall fitness. Um, and they, they absolutely have a brand. Um, when you say Peloton, people think expensive. Um, so, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because sometimes when you think expensive and then you see $15 a month or whatever they charge, you're like, oh, I can get the $2,000 bike company for the $15. So they've got a expensive brand, a nice marketing. I mean, they had the whole snafu around that commercial, but since then they've sort of been killing it. Yeah. I mean, I think it would make people exercise more if you had if someone wanted to exercise but they didn't quite like going to the gym having a peloton might work because i think the subscriptions like i mean at least makes it where it's not boring i think their sales beat was 172 percent increase so massive pretty pretty good what, what's the other company that's kind of like peloton but they're more like the poor man's peloton not natalis or nutless or some there's there's another one that's like probably going to get a rise because of peloton but i think yeah. that was a little bit cheaper yeah um, it just reminds me of like p90x like whatever beach body or whatever that was that's all i can think about when uh of the online like that that kind of company um john you got anything else on the individual companies i'm not on individual companies but i do have another question go for it okay so oh uh, Free market theorists say that everything that's known about a stock is out there. So if everything's known out there, then everyone's placed their orders based on all the knowledge that's out there. And say they say that prices, um, everything that's known about it is already priced into the stock. So when you're taking all this information, you have to be able to have some kind of model or predictability in order to have that edge what do you think is your edge um, in be able to project the higher price for the companies that you're going long so you can become profitable and um, kind of your pushback to the uh, free market analysis um, you know debate i guess you would say yeah yeah i, I my pushback on the free market analysis first would just be like you'll see the market the S&P uh, 500 in total will drop 3% in the morning and rise 6% in the afternoon. Nothing happened in between that day to generate a 3% drop and a 6% rise. There was no information that came out that rationally explains 
why the market would change like that. Um, and the reality is like the, the free market hypothesis makes sense, um, but people aren't rational. People, people get scared when they see they're losing money and they start to sell out of it or people see something and they think it's a sale and they start to rise up. Um, the market just works in funny ways that aren't rational um, in the short term, especially. But so uh, my, my view is that I just, I just see a different future when I look at a lot of these stocks. I see a future where um, I think e-commerce is coming faster than everyone thinks about. I think social networks will be more profitable than a lot of people think about. I think um, dopamine stocks are undervalued. I think like the weed in industry is going to come faster than everyone thinks. Um, so I just view things differently than I think the market does. Um, and when I do that, I, I buy long and then try and sit on it for as long as I can. Um, so really just buy and hold where I, I look at the market and say, I don't think they're pricing in enough e-commerce growth. I don't think they're fully respecting everything Jeff Bezos has done. I want to own a bunch of Amazon. Um, I don't think Spotify, uh, people are looking at it as a podcast company or an audio company. I think they're looking at it as a music company who has terrible margins and they're not fully pricing in the upside that would come from them truly becoming an audio company versus a music company. So I, I just think I see things differently. And, but if I do um, think I, I, I'm in line with the market, I just buy the S&P 500 because um, that's just so much easier than doing all the research, doing everything that all of us do. Um, so we, we see things different. Everyone sees things different. So you want to be right. You want to prove that you're right. And that's sort of what I'm chasing after. That's, that's, awesome. a, that, that's a really great um, response. It's, it's probably, you know, not to know what I was going to ask ahead of time. That was probably the best response that I could have uh, asked for. Um, I, I feel the same way as far as, you know, I think that there's a lot of people that do their homework and then there's a lot of people that don't do their homework and they play off of emotions and therefore there is an edge in the market if you can stay uh, consistent with your strategy and also be able to risk manage uh, properly around that. But uh, talking about risk management and, you know, not using your emotions and looking at a different future. I really like that. That's, that's a good quote. Um, you know, looking at things a little different than most people. Do you try to keep your position sizing to a certain amount per company or per sector? How do you, um, how do you come to your, um, position sizing for a stock. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, to be honest, it's a little random because um, I have a lot of Spotify. I have probably too much Spotify, but I love the company so much. I don't want to sell it. Um, I'm just not going to buy anymore. And as I start to invest the income I have, I'm going to start putting it in other sections. Um, so usually what I try to do is keep somewhere between 20 and 25 stocks in my portfolio. Um, and then have sort of a like a downward slant of the ones with the highest conviction I'm going to be at a higher dollar amount so I really like Spotify I really like Square um, I have a lot of Salesforce um, I have a decent amount of Zillow all those kind of companies I have a decent amount and then the companies that I have less um, conviction in um, I'll have less of so for instance some of those would be like the gaming stocks that I have um, 
the the marijuana stocks that I have. Uh, I just have less of those because I have less conviction in those companies than I do the higher earning ones that have proved a lot and have gained a lot. So they sort of become outsized in my portfolio. Yeah. So now do you look at things of dollar terms or do you look at things as far as percent of capital? Yeah, more percent of capital, just because the dollars are always changing. Um, so you just, I just have to be ready to look at my portfolio and say, okay, Spotify is 25% of my portfolio. If something happens tomorrow, I'm taking 25% of my portfolio, portfolio value. And it could go away pretty quickly because, you know, you, you think companies will be around forever, um, but sometimes they don't. So it's a lot of risk. So I, I think more in percentage just because the dollars are always changing. If if I buy a house, I'm probably going to take some money out and then uh, the dollars will change, but the percentages probably shouldn't. Right. And so for me, as you know, we all grow our accounts, if I look at things for me and, and you know, everyone to, to their own, but if I look at things in percents now, as my account gets very larger, instead of thinking, oh my gosh, this is this much money in this position, I can still think the same as I did when I started is, oh, it's this percent of my capital and, you know, be more comfortable with that is kind of how I look at it too. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said there. You know, we, I think Chris and I come a lot from the shorter term trading and, and you're kind of on the other side of the spectrum, but um, it, sound, it sounds like, you know, you do your homework, um, you know, just like we do, even though we're playing in two different time fields. Um, and I think our, I think our viewers, um, you know, both the viewers of the podcast and the people over at Pivotal Trading, you know, everyone that's involved in this, you know, they really do uh, take the extra length to, to take that deep dive into things. And, and hopefully our viewers are getting a lot of information here. I think, I think we're, really cracking open some good, um, good eggs, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We had a long-term investor on last time, uh, a dividends guy. I think he's only like 22, but he says he's been invested since he was like 16, has wrote a book and all kinds of stuff. So he, he was pretty cool. It was a, it was an interesting conversation with him. Um, yeah, I do some, mostly some short-term stuff, but I'm trying to be some long-term stuff too. So that, that's kind of the thing you, as you go, everyone, whether you're a trader or not, needs some sort of long, long-term stuff. And then, you know, just capital-wise, as I build capital, I'll have a lot more long-term stuff because right now, you know, with the amount of capital I have, if I put a lot, the amount you should towards long-term stuff, I won't really have enough to trade on a day-to-day -day to even make money. So that that's kind of how I'm looking at it right now is I need this amount, I feel like, to trade successfully and then as I, I normally try to take a little bit of every profit and put, put long-term, uh, I'm, I'm looking at to at least do, you know, 25% of all the profits I may take that and put it into something. I actually bought some long-term stuff, stuff today, bought some AT&T, but um, the one thing John mentioned about percentage-wise, uh, the, the one thing that's hard about that too, probably not for us now as we have built our portfolio some and definitely not for you because your portfolio is outrageous at this point even though you took a pretty big hit the other day um mm -hmm. when someone's first starting out they everyone says you know trade this amount of percent of your capital per trade and then you're looking to make this percent on it um 
you know, if someone's got $200 they're looking to invest or $500 they're looking to invest, I mean, you can't just, I feel like it's, it's a lot harder to say, okay, I'm going to put 8% of this here because if you do that and you're, unless you're looking at like penny stocks, if you're looking at replicable companies, that's, I mean, what's that going to buy you two shares, three shares. So there's a point where it, it converts to percent, but at the beginning, I mean, if, if you're putting in $200, you got to put, put that somewhere in my opinion. I mean, you pick one that you like and put it there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I started trading with uh, $200 or whatever, I like the first stock I ever bought was Twitter. Um, so it was probably trading around $30, $20 a share. Um, I probably bought like four shares and that's all I had for a while. And then the next company I bought was Under Armour and then Under Armour was pretty cheap. So I probably bought like 10 shares of that at like $10 or whatever it was. Um, and just go from there. But yeah, when you're just starting out, um, it's a little different and it's all about how much time you want to spend. If you want to pick individual stocks, it just takes so much more time. Um, or you could just do index funds, which are so much easier um, and so much less risk and all that kind of stuff, but they are less fun. Um, investing is fun. Trading is fun. Um, and that, that's sort of why we all do it. Yeah. Um, and some of those are pretty expensive too. I mean, SPY, you know, you might have somebody with the, just a regular job, you know, say putting $25 a paycheck or whatever that, I mean, it might that's four or five months before they can buy an SPY. Yeah. That's why fractional shares are nice now. Yeah. A lot of places have them now, which is better too. Yeah, what do you think about the, the fractional shares? I personally like them. I, I think the one thing that people, I see a lot of people post on Twitter and stuff about the fractional shares, you'll see someone who likes them put something, and then you'll see people in the comments saying, well, if you can't afford the whole share, then you need to get your money up or do something else. But I, don't, I think people's missing the fact that you, you make the same percentage. So like if that goes up 10%, it doesn't matter whether you have one share or a quarter of a share, you still made 10%. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, like even like I'll buy still fractional shares. Cause like a share of Amazon is $3,000. I'd like a lot of times I don't have $3,000 laying around. I have $500. So I'm going to buy a share of Amazon. So like I tried, like there's no point in hating on how much money someone has and telling them to wait to invest. Um, that's not really how compound in interest is. So the sooner you can start the better. So if starting sooner means buying a third of a share, do it. Who cares? Like, yeah, I think it, absolutely, because before they had fractional shares, say someone who was just investing long-term and wanted to get into like the ETFs and maybe like QQQ, SPY, some of those, they would have to, you know, put a little bit of money in their account each paycheck until they had enough to buy a whole share. Now they can buy fractional shares as they go, which means every time SPY goes up, they're also now making money on that amount they've already put in there rather than it just sitting the same as it would if they didn't put in there at all. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I like fractional shares. I think they sort of democratize trading and then allows you to get into some of the more expensive stocks that aren't doing the stock splits um, like Amazon um, where it's $3,000 a share. Like you're just not going to end up buying that unless you are able to do fractional shares you think amazon's going to split soon i i don't think they would unless the government makes them but i i think it would be a pretty clean split of splitting aws off um which will be pretty interesting and, and that's a interesting exercise to do is when you look at their financials you start to so look when at you say aws for our viewers since a lot of them may be new what what are you talking about 
so Amazon Web Services, which oh, is so, yeah, okay. So basically, like their their cloud, um, the servers, all that kind of stuff. So they make a ton of money off of that. Um, and e-commerce wise, they don't make nearly as much money, but they have a ton more sales. Um, so it's just the difference between e-commerce and really tech, which one's um, more interesting. But if you break them out and start to evaluate them as separate companies, it, it sort of gets interesting because when I look at it that way, the sum of the parts sort of seem higher than the sum of the total right now. So it sort of tell, tells me that I think Amazon is undervalued because if I'm looking at AWS, Amazon Web Services on its own, and I look at their e-commerce business, which is broken out of, which includes their um, smart devices, everything like that, basically the rest of it, international and everything, you start to evaluate them separately. You're like, hmm, I think, I think Amazon's undervalued, which is crazy at how expensive it is, but it's a very pervasive company. Yeah, even them, I think their PE ratio right now is 130 or 140 or something, which a lot of people would say, you know, is kind of high. Yeah, but they're growing at 40% a year plus with yeah. billions and billions of dollars in sales. They're growing at a percentage that no one else has seen at that high of sales. So it's really crazy. And when's it going to stop? Like, it's shown no signs of stopping. That's the crazy part. Yeah, I guess it's when someone else can jump in and take a portion better. Like you said, they got many different parts. Can someone come in and be better at that single part? Thus, now Amazon is isn't the top on in every sector right now. They're everything they do, they're the best at. So, one of the, um, the stocks you mentioned the last time you was on the show that you were big on, and you kind of hit it before I heard anyone else talk about it, and it's kind kind of coming to fruition as of the last couple of weeks is, is Etsy. I think you came on before the big quarter blowout of Pinterest and all that, you came on and, and was talking about Etsy being, you know, huge. And now they're an S and P 500 company over Tesla. Um, where do you see them going? Are, are they at the, the top? Would you still buy where they're at now? Or, or what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, obviously not quite as good of a deal with everything going on, but I'd still buy it. I love companies like Etsy, which are basically just a network. Um, they don't carry a lot of the inventory. They're just connecting the buyer and seller, and they're making a ton of money off of being the middleman. Um, and it also adds some resilience to their network as well, because all of a sudden, let's say Etsy did make their products before, all the face masks that were selling on Etsy, they would have never been able to do that on their own. It's the random grandmas who are selling them out of their house um, who are able to start doing it like that because they already have all the equipment. They just have to go to the fabric store and then they're ready to go. Um, so when you're just a network like that, I think the network effects start to compound and people are underestimating the people like to spend their money locally. And when you're buying Etsy, you sort of are doing that too. Um, so it's a really interesting company in that, in that fact. And I just sort of see the small niche corner store um, through everything going on. I don't know if they're going to make it, but if they go on Etsy, they can probably make it. Yeah. And that's one thing I don't think uh, that you always bring up stuff like that, that I don't think a lot of people when they're looking, people dive a lot of times into the financials. And of course you, you do too, but you know, you're just thinking about who like the face masks, um, all of a sudden how many people can make those right away and sell them. And now they're not, don't have to be commercially made. And now Etsy's getting boosts because of that. I, 
a lot of people yeah. wouldn't wouldn't think about that. One of the ones you did sell off that, you know, maybe a little too soon was um, DraftKings, yeah. which I guess now Michael Jordan's on the – hate to bring that up, but yeah. I know you sell, sold that off a little early, and Michael Jordan's now on the board. And then now with football tonight, everything blew up. I think Penn went up $7 last night. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and I sold out of Penn too. Um, I, I love so um, I held Penn all the way through their second quarter results and then I sold because it went up so much I figured the next milestone is their app I figured we would get a retreat from their court second quarter results a couple of dollars so I think it went up to like 44 45 real quick I thought it would retweet um, retreat to maybe like 40 and I was going to buy back in I ended up buying back in at 50 and then I switched brokerage accounts, so I sold it at 57, which was the high at the time. So I made a little bit more money there. But now, now it's so high, I don't know. I don't, I don't really want to buy shares of it. So I've been trying to play options once last week and once this week. So last, last week I had a call option, and um, I sold it for like $200 profit. The next morning, it w no, it was the same day. I had to drop to work though. So I, it, start, it looked like it was gonna come down a little bit. So I was like, well, it's $250 profit. Let me go ahead and sell it. It went up to $700. Yeah, yeah. Then to, um, yesterday I had one, a call and it, and you know, I made a little bit of profit on there and it went up to like $7 overnight, no new news or anything. And it's just, um, it was worth a lot. I did today do a day trade. I put it and made um, like 80 bucks in like an hour and immediately bought the call back. So I am in on the call right now. I think they're testing their app um, next week if you're in Pennsylvania. So it's their like mock run. And then after that, it'll, it'll come out. And I think once it comes out, who knows where the price will go once it comes out, because that's, that's the one that a lot of people like DraftKings too. And, I think that's what they're trying to follow with bringing in Michael Jordan and that sort of thing. But there's no other casino companies or sports gambling companies that literally has one of the biggest sports media companies who only basically focus on gambling and yeah. will push them like Barstool Sports will. I mean, the, the CEO of that company needs a, a massive raise, Snowden or whatever. I mean, that was a, one of the best decisions he's probably ever made. I mean <laughs> – yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, that was a. I sold out of my pen at like $35. I think my DraftKings, I forgot, it might have been around like 35 or 40 bucks too. Um, and I, I was just get, getting worried about coronavirus and if that was shutting down. And I already made a ton of money on both of them. Um, and I, I, I was worried whether football would continue, but I tried to time the market and I didn't do it well. And I, I still love, I'm going to get back into gambling. I'm just trying to find the right entry point. Um, and I mean, tonight I have lineups on DraftKings. I love using DraftKings. I love using FanDuel. Um, so those are fun and I'm definitely going to get back into them as long-term holds, but I tried to time the market and did not work out. Yeah. I'll, I normally use FanDuel. I think it's the easiest. I think when pins comes out, it'll be a little more complicated. I think they'll have a lot more features that maybe some people will be like, well, I'm just putting my bets. So maybe that'll be a turnoff, but I think, you know, there'll be people who like the pen app, which I assume will have some of the Barstool, you know, pick like watch lists. Like you can see people's stocks watch lists. I assume their app will have like some of Barstool's watch lists and stuff like that. I mean, I think last week a big, a big block of call orders came in for like January 
at eighty bucks. So yeah, yeah. I mean, calls on calls on pen right now might be a smart play because I mean, all it takes is one uh, one tweet from Portnoy saying that the app's ready. And then that stock's going to... So the market was one day late. So I saw a tweet from Dave two days ago saying that they were going to test the app next week. So I bought a call and pin and then it, it went up some, but then it started um, retreating. So I just wanted to get my profit out. And because they were only testing it, so who knows after the test, depending on what happens there, how long before that actual app came out. I was anticipating... Um, because they said third quarter, I was anticipating it would come out this week, which to me would have been the best point. I think they probably probably were aiming and probably had a hiccup or something. I, otherwise, I don't know why you would want it to come out, you know, three weeks after everything starts back up when you could have done it the same week. So I think something happened and it took a little bit longer. But, yeah, so he, he tweeted that. I guess that would be on um, Tuesday. And then today, or overnight on Wednesday, is when it picked up. So it didn't really do too much on Wednesday daytime. And then after hours hitting, like it went up like seven bucks yeah. overnight. So it was it was crazy. John, what else you got? I think that a couple um, minutes back, I really liked the comment about the Etsy. You know, uh, smaller business people can move a lot faster than you know, big corporations. So being a company, serve, uh, you know, service around services where you just connect to smaller businesses, uh, that was a really good, you know, that's a really good um, outlook there on, on, on Etsy. I think that that's really important. Um, I, I can see now where you have a little bit of an edge in your thinking there. That's, that's a pretty good observation. Um, I, I do think that even though things have went to scale and it's been a lot of these big businesses, there've been a lot of opportunity for the small guys too. You know, a lot of people can sell on eBay now and, and they can, you know, get stuff for free off of Craigslist and then go list it on eBay or, or be creative and put it on Etsy. So a lot of more, you know, a lot more products have come to service um, and to the marketplace. And there's just so much opportunity, whether you're in stocks or you're actually selling goods or services, that I think this is a really great time to be alive. And, and people need to keep that in mind when they're complaining about stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. It's a, a great time to be alive for sure. Yeah, the um, other thing I saw you post on Twitter um, the other day, which is a popular one right now, I guess, with the stock split as well, is Apple. And, and you look through it and you would say Apple just now valued correctly. That's always been undervalued that, you know, right now is, is really where, where it should be at. Yeah. And I mean, I, it's hard. I'm not going to buy any Apple stock, but when you look back and look at it, like Apple has been sort of historically trading at a pretty low PE ratio. Um, and people have been doubting their profitability, doubting their, um, able to ability to grow sales. They we always think we hit the top um, after the iPhone. It was like, what's going to be next? Um, now they have AirPods, all, all this kind of stuff. And Apple sort of just keeps bringing it. And, and I sort of think Apple, it, as a company, has so much more space to run because of the advantages that they have in um, the iOS, basically that if Apple really did want to take on Spotify, I think that would be a, 
a problem for Spotify. It's just Apple's never really shown any sort of interest in podcasts. They just push podcasts out there um, and never really went for anything exclusive, never went for like the, the, the kill on podcasts. Um, so, it, and there's 50 industries like that where as soon as Apple decides, boom, they're in it because um, they have so much power. So I, I think the run on Apple is a lot less crazy than the run on Tesla um, for those reasons. Yeah, I guess I guess you you wouldn't be looking into it because it's not really a, a growth stock that much. But as a if there's a long term investor or a new investor out there, I mean Apple's you know pretty pretty um, you're not really going to miss too much. Like we're we're not looking for Apple to drop down to thirty dollars anytime soon. It'll probably be be there. Um, the company I was mentioning before the um, NLS or whatever is the stock ticker on the Peloton. It actually jumped six percent because of the Peloton <laughs> earnings. <Yeah. laughs> Stuff like that's um, you know, that's pretty crazy, you know, companies just kind of follow. And I think that's kind of what happened a lot with Tesla there for a while. You got Neo um heading up, workhorses blowing up now, but I think they kind of got their own thing. Um some people, some pretty big um, you know, people like um Will Mead and stuff who, who used to run a hedge fund. Um, he thinks Ford will probably try to go after workhorse after the GM buy um, the other day. So what do you think about, about GM trying to get in there? Yeah. So they got in with Nikola. Is that what yeah, it, that Nicola. was? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. I, I know GM sort of been a, a little bit ahead of the game on the electric vehicles in comparison to like, toy, uh, yeah. like the rest of the companies. Um, but yeah, I just don't know enough on exactly what uh, Nicola is doing or whatever. Because I know that they say they have an electric truck, but they have no sales essentially. Um, so they're sort of just so early in the startup phase that I would never buy them because um, it's 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 just too risky for me. I know we had um, a woman on on the show. I think she was one of our first guests who just basically does options, and she was talking about Nicola at that point in time because it had shot up to like you know over fifty dollars, and like you said, they're not even really doing any business or anything like that. So she was playing like puts and calendar puts and stuff like that, and. In Nicola, I think it dropped way, way back down, and then GM bought, and it blew, blew back up. But yeah, so could be interesting um, with companies like GM, um, you know, trying to get into the uh, electric car business. That could really mean bad for Tesla because the difference is Tesla sells luxury electric cars, GM sells cars to everyone, and now if they add electric cars, they have. Um, probably more of a business um, model that people would um, be behind compared to Tesla's. Yeah. I mean, I just have a hard time with like the GMs and well, the yeah, Fords of the world. Like, like I just probably wouldn't buy them just cause like they're so far behind Tesla and those companies in, yeah. a, in a lot of ways. Um, it's just like, I just have a hard time believing they're going to catch up. Um, they sort of seem like dinosaurs to me and yeah. But but they are still a good long term investment most of the time. Like GM's pretty pretty steady on on what they do investment wise. I guess they ask their dividends for now, but I think they have a pretty strong dividend normally. So yeah. and I mean like electric cars aren't coming that fast. You no, know what no, I'm no. saying? Yeah. 
So like, there's a lot of time and it, hopefully they do get smart and start to catch up in a lot of those areas. And I know GM was good, but they're not like Tesla good and um, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, so uh, technology and stuff. Um, I'd like to switch gears and, and away from like stocks. Uh, what's your thoughts on like precious metals? Yeah, I mean, I, gold and silver are interesting. I think they're like, I, I would, if I was trying to hedge against inflation, all that kind of stuff, I would hold a little bit. Um, but it, I just, I don't hold much at all. I've been playing around with um, basically what I want to do with my, I, I break down my portfolio into a couple of different ways. I sort of have my my high risk stuff and that's all my Robin Hood that I'm always posting. But then I also keep some in just in the S&P 500 um, separately. And then I keep some just in uh, basically cash accounts. And I've been playing around with the idea of taking it out of cash accounts and moving it to a mix of stocks, bonds, gold, and commodities, um, which they call the all weather fund. I don't know if you guys have ever looked at that. Um, Is that the Ray Dalio? Sort of Ray Dalio. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, the, the most it's ever gone down is like 10% in a year. And that's during like the Great Depression. So it's pretty stable, um, but still decently high returns. I think on average, it averages like five or 6%. Um, and there's a decent amount of gold in there. Um, but overall, like, I think it's interesting. I just, I, I have a pretty high risk tolerance. So I don't mess around with it much. But I am, I am thinking about it for all the cash I'm sitting on just because the, with the cash accounts, when they slash the interest rates, I initially was getting 3% on that investment. Now I'm getting 0.5% on that investment. Um, so there's a big difference between that. And I just sort of feel like I'm losing money at 0.5%. And I just, I got to figure out what I want to do. And I, I just haven't done it yet. But gold's on the list. Um, and I think gold's interesting. It's just, I would never hold a ton of it because it, really all it is is an inflation hedge. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an inflation hedge, and then also real yields falling. Um, but a silver, I don't really see silver as the same as gold. Like I still consider gold like a currency, whereas silver is, you know, I kind of see it more as like a. Um, you know, it has a, 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 a specific use other than for bartering. Um, I haven't really looked at the other ones very much. What is your thoughts on commodities like corn, wheat? I know there's these ETFs now that you can trade. Uh, they're kind of high fees, um, but what is your thoughts on commodities? Yeah, I mean, I'd only ever hold them if I was trying to get the right portfolio mix. Um, I just don't know enough on any of them. So if I was going to buy it, it'd be because I'm trying to do something like the All Weather Fund and make a little bit of money, but have very low risk in the long term. Um, so that's what I would do. It, I just don't know enough on them, really. So that's where I just sort of look at the Ray Dalio math and say, yeah, that makes sense. I'll, I'll follow his percentages on that and go from there. But yeah, I don't know much on commodities. John's been messing around on the, the small futures exchange with, they have a product I think that has all the precious metals into one. You've been doing pretty good on there, haven't you? Yeah, it's got uh, mostly gold. Um, and then the next holding is silver and then platinum, I, I think is the three that it holds. Um, and it's a one-to-one -one type thing, like one move is a dollar or something like that. 
Yeah, yeah. Every so it's a futures contract. So, it, um, but it it's pretty easy. You don't have any weird tick sizes. One cent equals a dollar. Um, the margin requirements for it is is about a tenth the size of the actual product. So about a contract of, uh, I think the notional value is well, it's about a five percent margin requirement. So it's like a seven eight thousand uh, dollar notional product, and I think the capital requirements like four or five hundred dollars. Um, I've so I got in about halfway up the well not really halfway up the run up but at, when gold had that big massive down day and i think mm -hmm. you commented on one of our posts um about gold um i think i bought like the next day after that or something and i've already doubled uh, my investment in in that okay. um, which i've kind of traded around it um i didn't have a huge percent of of my portfolio in it but um I think I just done one contract of it, so I, I doubled the you know the margin that I put in for it. I've been I've been playing around on those. I really like the small exchange futures products. They're smaller, and they uh, they have four of them right now. They have a tech sector overall um, market that's kind of like the Russell, and then they have uh, precious metals, and then they probably have the best U.S. dollar um, product. Um, out there, you know, the usually you have to trade the dollar versus one other currency, where theirs is a, like a basket of currency, so you get a very true representation of uh, the dollar. So I'm actually short the dollar right now and long the the uh, precious metals one, but it's been pretty good. Um, it went up, sold at the try to sell at the top, and then it dipped back down. But it's been kind of volatile in gold, but the um, different volatility, there's different volatility things that you can track, like for oil has like OVX and I don't know it, how familiar you are with that. Is volatility something that you look at when making um, investment decisions? Like, um, like if you look at the VIX much? Yeah, really a VIX is all I'll look at. And then like they're always talking VIX over 30, all that kind of stuff. Um, but for the most part, not really though. Because I, I mostly buy and hold. And then when I'm just playing around with options, it's mostly because I think things are priced way too high and something's going to happen soon. Um, and most of the time when I'm doing that, volatility is rather low because I think something's going to happen in the future. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't do a ton with volatility or futures. It sounds very interesting. It sounds fun. Um, but it's just another mess. I got to get better at options before I start trading futures. Yeah, the small futures exchange kind of seems like um, a better deal. They're trying to encourage more people to get into it because, like, like you said, normally you got to have you know six thousand, twenty thousand dollars. Now you can do it with four hundred or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of options, like I know you don't trade those too much, but that Tesla put you you had the expiration at um, you know September twenty fifth. How do you decide on, on some of the expiration numbers when you are trading options? So like you said, you, you think something big is going to happen in the future. Where, Like the Tesla one, where did the September 25th expiration come from? 
Yeah, I, I usually just sort of look at it and it, I mean, it's guesswork um, at its finest, but I usually just keep an eye on where earnings are, because if I'm trying to play an earnings play, you got to know where it are, but it, they're going to be so much more expensive around earnings. Um, so this one was just basically me saying, okay, I have a feeling like that this is unsustainable for the next month. Let me put one that's about a month out, because um, that's my way of saying, I think I have enough time to like buy this but tesla tesla puts are expensive even oh, yeah. after even after the stock split they're still expensive because uh, there's a lot of volatility there um and you're paying up for it and uh, the, i think the volatility a lot of times is underestimated too um just because you can make so much money so quick on them uh, but yeah so it, it, no real science to it it's just me saying okay when do i think this is going to happen and go from there that's the problem with um, when I look at pins options too. I feel like pins option premiums are too high. Like they're they're high. So there's there's been times where even when I held, had the shares, I would you know look at option for pin just because I'm holding these for later. Let me play something now. And you actually you have to have the big moves, which it does do on a normal basis to make money because the premiums are so high. I mean, you'll just get killed if you hold it for a week or whatever, I mean, you, you'll get destroyed just because yeah. of the premium. And that's why sometimes I have like options ideas and then I'll look at it. For instance, I was thinking, okay, what if I buy zoom, um, zoom calls right now after their next earnings? Cause that the, after the past two earnings, they've gone up massively and I sort of expect them to do the same thing at their next one, but it's not really a company I want to hold long-term just cause like I still have questions about whether that growth sustainable. I think it's definitely sustainable to the next quarter. And then I looked at options for it and just way too expensive when you're talking three months out after earnings with the volatility that Zoom has had. So there's times I'll look at him just like, oh, no way. That's, I, I just can't do it. I guess you could get on the other side of that. It's probably not enough um, profit at once for you, but um, if, if you was looking into selling the options, you could probably take advantage of than being expensive and do it that route you got enough capital you know to, to do it so that just scares me that's good like because you have to make sure that you you have yourself covered so you don't um like like a, a naked option sell all that kind of stuff it's like uh, that that just scares me and that i i just have trouble sleeping thinking i'd mess something up you know um, that's how i felt at the beginning but you know john's been pushing more up because you do get like 70, 80% chance of probability when you do it over, you know, who knows what could happen. So when normally when I do it, I pick one that maybe I would get less credit for, but I'm pretty confident it's not going to happen. So like I would pick something, you know, three or four strikes down and sell like the put or something if I think it's going to go up just because, you know, I could probably steal more credit really, but – I'm still yeah. worried that it, something would happen. I guess the only yeah. one I have right now is I have a, um, I have a snap one, like a one in Snapchat. Mm -hmm. I think I sold a like a 27 call or 28 call for like September 25th or something. So <laughs> that one should be an easy yeah. collection yeah. there. But yeah. yeah. Um, so one thing we do try to do on the show, we normally try to have at least one educational segment. And I guess every time our interviews are educational, but there's one thing that kind of goes with what you talk about. And you mentioned a lot that 
you know, we normally just pick like a, a stock term or something that maybe people who are just now getting involved um, may not know what it is. And I see this word get thrown around a lot, use it a lot. So I figured while you were on here, it's normally stock jargon with John, but we can do stock jargon with Fat Baby Funds today. Um, why don't you explain to everyone, you know, what a moat is when someone says a company has a good moat or they don't have a moat or that sort of thing. Because I know you look at that a lot. Yeah, yeah, and it, the moats are interesting. Really, what all, all people mean by a moat is a competitive advantage. So, what competitive advantage do you have over your competitors? Some of the best ways to think about them, and I think some of the really the strongest moats is like, for instance, Visa and Mastercard. So many places will only take Visa or Mastercard. Um, some will take American Express, um, but there's such a strong mode around there because let's say we were start trying to start up a competition against them. How do you even get people to start taking it? Um, it's such a strong competitive advantage. I do think sometimes moats are overrated when people talk about them because like, for instance, companies like Peloton, Peloton 172% growth year over year. What's their real moat? like maybe their brand, maybe that, but that's like their brand a year ago went into the, in, into the tank after their bad commercial. Um, and then all of a sudden their brand's back now. So I think a lot of times in early companies, moats are overrated, but in companies like Apple, um, in companies that have been around for 20 years, a lot of times they do have a really strong moat and moats just make things so much safer because you have that competitive advantage. It's going to take so much longer for someone to come in and take down Visa or MasterCard or for someone to come in and take down Apple um, just because they have that huge competitive advantage versus someone taking down Peloton. Yeah, and I, I, I guess a lot of companies, you know, try to have something, but there's so many companies that have the same thing. But I guess that's one thing to look for, like, and people, I think sometimes are even thinking about it, but don't really know they're looking at it. Like even, even Penn, I would say their moat is Barstool Sports. No one else has that. Of course it can be replicated, but right now it's, it's not, but yeah. So that's an, an important one, making sure not only that, but is there, I know with a lot of like inventions and innovations or being in the engineering field, like a company will have like, a, they're not allowed to patent the machine, but they're allowed to patent the process. The reason they don't patent the machine is because once that runs out in six or seven years, there's going to be someone ready with the exact same machine. And now you kind of lost that. So instead they try to patent like a process of doing something, which is a lot harder to you know, take away from them. So yeah. what are, um, what are some companies you're, you like right now? Like, so you're in Etsy and all that sort of stuff. We've heard the ones you're in. What's the, what's the next one? Yeah. And I'm still looking one industry that I've, I really wanted to invest in, but I haven't found the company I like yet is like the online education space. I've been looking a lot, around a lot in there, just trying to find the right, right disruptor because I think it's a industry that's ripe for di disruption. I haven't been able to find anything there. Um, then the next one I looked at was really the online dating. None of that really seemed right. I might start a small position in the Spark Networks, but even that is a little meh. Um, so right now I don't really know. Um, I'm just sort of building up my position in Amazon right now just because 
I never owned it and it was my favorite stock. So it was just stupid. It was one of those things where it's like, okay, I got to start putting some money there. But usually when I find it, it's pretty quick. I'll, I'll see it. I'll start to research it. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll look at their financials, look at their um, uh, letters to shareholders, all that kind of stuff. And then you'll know pretty quick. You're like, oh, this one's interesting. Um, I've seen, I want to look at Redfin more as a competitor to Zillow and see if I just want to own both of those. Um, last time I, I looked at Redfin, it wasn't my favorite, but I, I've been seeing a lot posted around it. And I just got to go back to it and see, okay, does it make sense to own both or am I fully in on Zillow? Um, but yeah, right now it's hard to say what my next one's going to be. Um, I almost forgot. What are you going to play? What do you think about Airbnb if they ever do their, I guess they've been saying they're doing IPO for years now and they never happened. So I assume that's one that you actually kind of like. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love using Airbnb as a company, all that kind of stuff. I just got to take a look at the financials when they actually come out and see if the valuation is crazy. I question how much optionality that they have. Um, as a company, I do think they have some um, instead of moving just from basically hotel and vacation stays into medium term stays into um, like events into uh, experiences, which they're doing right now. So I think it's interesting. I just got to look at the, the company, but I love the idea. And like, I really just got to see the financials and be like, does it make sense? And then go from there. Yeah, uh, I guess when Airbnb normally they're they're quite a bit cheaper, so I could see that being a big thing. And as well as like you know people, I just bought a house. I got four bedrooms. It's really you know just me and my ladies over here. Some, um, but I mean I could Airbnb the basement easily and make extra money. So I think that's you know people like that. The one thing about it is um, you're really I guess paying. Um, they're really just making money off. What are they making money off of? Um, I guess people, they get percentage for letting them use their website or whatever, but really, I mean, just people, people could go out and, you know, advertise their bedroom on something if they wanted. Yeah, it was a pretty funny. I, I was telling my friend who runs an Airbnb um, off his grandparents' farm. He makes a ton of money off Airbnb. He was asking me about the stock when it comes out. And I was like, yeah, they're going to be unprofitable. He was like, what? I'm like, yeah, they're not going to be profitable at first. It's going to take a while. He's like, How? like they don't do anything. They just take 20% of my sale. Where are they spending all their money? And he, he could not comprehend. He just, I was like, no, it's probably mostly marketing. I haven't looked at it, but probably a lot of it is an overhead in marketing. But it just blew his mind because he sees 20% of his sales go straight to Airbnb and it's literally just a middleman. Um, and he was like, how are they not profitable? I would assume they're making money hand, hand over fist. Um, so it's just one of those funny things. It's like, no, that's not how a lot of companies do it. They don't, they don't run lean. They run fat until they can't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess the last thing I have is um, since you're on here and we don't discuss it much Bitcoin, are we, I guess you're still long there, but how do we feel about Bitcoin? And John may have some questions on Bitcoin because you're the only person that's ever came on that does Bitcoin. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm still long Bitcoin, still the same thing um, as before. I still think it's an interesting, uh, highly speculative play. Um, it's one of those investments where two years from now it could be zero, or two years from now it could be 
50 times higher than it is right now. I think we're really early in the stage of Bitcoin. Um, so if people are interested in it, it's a, it's a very risky, risky move. Um, and I, I wouldn't put a lot of your uh, financial capital into it, but I, I like it. I think it's interesting. I think it could be digital gold. I think that's what its long-term potential is. Um, but a ton of risk, a ton of reward. Yeah, because a lot of companies, I mean, you, you can't just go pay at the gas station in Bitcoin yeah. or anything. You, you can do a little bit, like you can buy things on Overstock. Um, but I never, like, and some people might get angry at me, Bitcoin people, by saying, like, I don't view it as a currency. I view it more as digital gold. Um, but I, I just don't think right now it's fast enough. And I don't think it will be ever that widely embraced. I think it will be more of uh, like a random trust asset that the internet created, which is a really weird concept, but I think, I think it's pretty cool. And I think it, it's got potential. And you got in at the right time, right? You got in when it was like 700 bucks or something, correct? Oh, not that. That's when, uh, that's when I first started hearing about it. And, uh, my friend's dad was talking to me. I didn't really get in until $3,000, which is still three X from there. Um, so I'll take it, but yeah, not quite that early. That would have been awesome. <laughs> yeah. John, you got anything else? Um, no, I don't think so. Um, what are you taking? Are you taking Houston plus nine at one Oh five? I mean, yeah, probably. I like I, I like both the teams tonight. So it's yeah, just both the teams are awesome. I think this is going to be the best first game we've had in years. I think if people expected a lot last year when it was Packers Bears, but those are two teams where and the first game where we got what should have would probably been expected to happen. Yeah, this this is going to be a, a awesome shootout. It's great to have football back. So yeah, I mean, I guess I'll take the points. Um, they're both good teams. The Chiefs are amazing. So hard to bet against them, but I just love the backdoor covers, all that kind of stuff. So when you have that many points on the table, there's so many ways. The the only problem though is Houston puts up a lot of points too. But um, I would have liked it a lot better if it had been like eleven. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The nine is still like if they score a touchdown and then kick a field goal or something, you're screwed. I think I don't know who you normally use, but I think DraftKings. If you were first starting in your account in DraftKings, you were only allowed to do like fifty bucks. I think all the companies do it because FanDuel does stuff like this all the time. Um, but I think they were giving you um, the Chiefs at um, plus one oh like plus one oh one or something oh, crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah they were basically do giving you fifty bucks if if you yeah. wanted. Yeah, and uh, like. They don't have legal online gambling yet in Wisconsin. So yeah. I, I like for the most part, I just do DFS at this point, just because there, there's nothing legal. I, the states around here are starting to legalize it. So I hope it's coming soon um, so I can blow a little bit more money um, on random fun things. But uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. It's awesome. Is it legal by you guys? Virginia's not, North Carolina's not, but West Virginia is, which I'm an hour from, and my parents are there. So anytime mm -hmm. I go to my parents' house, I can, you know, 
Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you can also just use, uh, you know, do what I do and use your parents' address on everything. <laughs> no, no, no. Fan, FanDuel, it checks your location. So as soon as you log in, it gives you, it gives a location check. If it doesn't, if you're not in West Virginia, you can't. Hey, they got apps now. You can spoof your location, man. Yeah, so yeah. no, that that's something you can do. You can VPN your location. I can, I can accept letters there. I can validate that address. Yeah, no. I can send North Carolina. <laughs> You, you definitely can um, VPN, and that's the one thing, speaking of sports being bad before we let you go, uh, it's, people look at it a lot as gambling, but, I mean, if you're good at the sports gambling thing, you can play it the same as the stock market. There's the same, like, I mean. The only problem is, now, I, I will say the only problem with it is, is the spread from the bid and the ask is really far apart because in finances it's really close and there's not a lot of fees but when you get into sports betting the fees are so wide that you could go into a scenario where you would win but the fees would take out uh you know your profit just because of how wide, depending on what you're betting and what actual you know game you're betting on or outcome that you're betting on but you know, what do you mean the fees? Closer, and it would be more like a fair market, depending on the price, kind of like predict it does. Then I think it would be better. But I think that's where we're going. What do you mean? The, I mean, FanDuel doesn't have any fees. I mean, you bet what you bet on there. Are you talking about this? I guess the spreads, like being minus one ten over plus one hundred or whatever. Yeah, like the well, spreads. I mean, yeah, but it's it's just depending on what it is. So, like, the, um, if you bet on Houston tonight, you can get it at 105, which is basically even money. But if you do the Chiefs to cover, it's 115. Yeah. But I mean, the casinos make money. They make money for sure. There's a yeah, lot of money. Yeah, but that, that's what I was getting into. There's, I mean, there's all kinds of statistics you can run the same as you can the stock market, like – there's teams that cover the spread almost always on the road. There's teams that are terrible at covering. So it's, it's more of that game. I think a lot of people, when they first get into it, are looking at who they think is the better team and who's going to win and not actually the numbers. They came up with the numbers for the spread yeah. using a computer. That's, I mean, that's the number. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, things happen and people get blown out. But as a whole, they're more right than wrong. So you got to play, play the numbers. Like tonight, I, everyone that would expect the Chiefs to, you know, even though Houston scores a lot to, to win, they got so much firepower. But, you know, that nine points, who knows, you could cover that. So I, the only difference is, I guess, um, if you lose a bet, you lose. Whereas if uh, you're in a bad investment, it's probably not going to zero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's risky. Uh, but, I mean, you can see it's the same thing where in gambling, like – 10% of the people make all the money. So it's like the stock market, but a little more winner takes all, which is, it, it's fun. It's fun. I, I like it. It's, it's dangerous, but it's definitely got its similarities with investing. And there's ways to boost your odd too. Like during the parlays, like if, if you see a game there where it's like this team's automatic, even if they're like odds or even not their odds, I guess they're odds, even if their odds are like minus 400 or whatever. So you're not getting that much bang for your buck but they're probably going to win. So you can throw that money line in with some of the ones that have better odds. And that's going to give you that multiplier and you're actually going to, it's going to help you more than, but you're throwing in basically a freebie. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But Hey, um, yeah. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Enjoy yeah. following you and all the information. 
I haven't seen a miss yet. I guess your miss was. I guess your, I guess your miss was selling DraftKings, but it wasn't a miss. That's why. Yeah, I yeah I, oh, there'll be plenty of misses, and uh, the the timing is hard. But you buy good companies, and you'll get a lot of hits. So. Yeah, and most people that do buy and hold are, you know, aim for more of the dividend compounding. You basically do the the growth company, so you basically play the companies as if you were playing options, but as a buy and hold. Yeah. But, um, yeah, well, yeah. yeah, it's just that's because I'm bad at market timing, man. That's the problem. Is so, like I know pen's going up, it's just a matter of when, and then I sell it, and then it goes all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, there's tons of people who are terrible at that part of it and try to get into the options where they don't even have to pick a direction, they just make it delta zero and just <laughs> <laughs> hold in there and keep it every month and yeah. collect $50 every so often. And yeah. It, it yeah, works. That, um, where can people find you at on social media? And I guess you have your blog as well. Yeah. So just at fat, at fat baby funds on Twitter and then uh, fatbabyfunds.com. Um, I'll just do random blog posts and all that kind of stuff. And I'll share out everything I'm invested in. You can find a link to a Google sheet with all my investments. I'm trying to enter in there my buy rationale and my sell rationale so I can look back historically and see why I'm doing stupid things, all that kind of stuff, what, when I'm selling, when I shouldn't, because that way I can see, I can make a note when I sell my pen, when I sell my DraftKings, and I can look back and be like, okay, in the future, just don't sell. Just just keep buying and uh, don't sell for stupid reasons like trying to time the market, um, trying to crack like that. So you can see all that at my blog. So. That's, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's what I'm going for um, um, this time. I, this time I bought the pin call with a little bit farther expiration where I'm pretty sure the app will be out by then. So now I just got to be like, don't sell. Don't, it's, it's going <laughs> higher. It's high, but it's going higher. So I got to just keep on that. But, hey, thanks for coming on the show. Um, I guess it's time, almost time to watch some football. You got about 40 minutes to drink some beer or something prior. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys. Hey, nice meeting thanks you. For thanks for coming on. Yep. Nice to meet you too. All right. Thanks. See you. Yep. See you. Yeah. So as y'all can tell, a really smart guy, but to me, he, he knows a lot, but he comes across as, you know, just someone like you or I, John, like I can, like, it's not like someone who's spewing, he's a financial guy and he, he gets it, but I, it's one of them things where he, he has something in him where he can pick stuff out that other people don't see and, and yeah, that's what he has an eye for the I guess the uh, the very def you know the very detailed of a company and how they operate and really uh, you know picked out some very good points here tonight it was it was interesting and it's about time to order some pizza man and watch this game yeah I think part of his too is even though it seems random, I think he has a process. So when he, so I think it starts with kind of like, a, like if you're brainstorming, he gets an idea like the, the relationship thing. I saw him go on a bit, like, it's funny when he gets on some things. So that's why you should follow him on Twitter because he, he randomly will just get on a topic. So like the online education, he went on that for like three days of like, huh, what can I do for us? And then he did the relationship, the online dating here recently, but you kind of get an idea and then he's like, all right, well, let me see what companies are in there. And then he's like, well, which one has the best finances in there? And then once he picks that, then it's, um, it's him deciding, do, do they have something that's different? But you know, he, it's kind of a mix of both. Um, and that's why I like following him is 
and talking to him is he is very good at the financial this is what it should be it should be valued here it should be that but he also has enough of the mix of the speculative and the news not just solely like technical analysis people which work everyone has a strategy that works and you need to find your strategy that works but like you know there's some strategy where it's you do this and that's what you do and you're gonna works whereas really you'll be the best if you merge all of that into something together yeah and when we were talking to our previous guest um you know we were talking about he looks at a few indicators and looks at charts a little bit um, as just extra information to absorb and take it, you know, into consideration before he makes a, you know, makes a decision on an investment. And he's a long-term investor too. So, yeah, I mean, I think when you um, combine fundamental analysis, uh, technical analysis, indicators, um, chart patterns, um, company evaluation, macro, um, I think, you know, as much information as you can take in and put it into a, a strategy, I think the better off you can be. And I think the other good thing about what he does is he, he says buy and hold, and most people would say long-term investor. He's a long-term investor, yeah, but he does trade stuff. It's not – he's not trading stuff on a weekly basis, but, I mean, like you said with Penn, I mean, he bought it back in February. He sold it here – you know, probably, I guess he said 30, so that would have been in July. So, I mean, he is looking to, to make profits on stuff now. It's not just let me buy it as in call, and he's looking, he's looking, he cares about the price because you want to buy it at the best price you can. He's looking mostly at which one gives me the best dividend, so 20 years, 30 years from now is going to be the best deal, whereas um, Fat Baby Funds is like, he does want to flip it now. I mean, he's definitely got something he wants to keep for 20 years, but he's got he also is trying to, you know, he's trying to make money now as well. So it's a good mix of there. He, he's kind of the middle, a good mix of everybody's views on the length of investing, looking at stuff. So he's a real interesting cat. So I, I like having him on the show. I hope all y'all enjoyed the show. Um, if you're not following us already, follow us on Twitter at Swinging It. Um, go ahead and join that Pivotal Trading Discord. We do have a free version where you get really most of the features, a lot of the features. There are some special features that you get if you join the level one version, which again is only $5 a month. Um, I put in a trade there right at, I guess I put two trades right at there at the end. Both of them I, where it took about an hour and a half. I'm, um, I did a UVXY um, call. It went up about $70 in about an hour and a half. And a pin put, it went up $70 in about an hour and a half. John, I don't know, know about you, but that, that pays for pretty much the whole year and um, <laughs> in the Pivotal Trading Level 1 plus some to spare. And that's just me. Other people put stuff in there too. So there's what you get in there is kind of like we was talking about how rounded Fat Baby Funds is. Some of us may not be as well-rounded, but there's a person for everything. We have – Myself, who kind of, you know, does a lot of the speculative, but also kind of looks at what a bunch of stuff at a time. John's a macro person. Let's look at, you know, where the value is, more of the short term. But also, mainly now, John's getting into, you know, the commodities and doing the futures, you know, a lot more. So that's something that a lot of other places don't provide that now Pivotal Trading does provide. We have John. He's by far the technical analysis guy. He posts charts on there constantly of all kinds of different companies. 
And then Dustin is kind of the, you know, real short-term options. He does a lot of the um, expiration options and also does some technical analysis. He actually posted a video on YouTube last night of the series he does where he picks one popular company and does a chart breakdown for you guys. So it, it's worth um, it's worth joining. Like I said, join the free version, hold it for a week. And if you like it, go ahead and level up. Um, and you can also follow the Pivotal Trading on Twitter at Pivotal underscore trading. Um, we thank all y'all for listening. Make sure you do your homework and tell five friends about the show if you liked it. And we're going to go um, watch some football. So have a good night. Play the music, John. Thanks all of our YouTube viewers out there for joining us today. And we'll catch you next time, Pivotal Trading.